0: This morning's readings from John 1, verse 19, and that can be found on page 1062. Starting at verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one who who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave his testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one.
1: As I travel the world there are two phrases that I hear all the time. I'm not at peace and I don't feel secure. I'm not at peace. It may be that life's gone exactly as you hoped it was gonna go. You've achieved that job. You, you've met someone that is your dream boat. You've, uh, you've ended up with an Aston Martin in the garage. But you know what? I'm not at peace. It's not what I expected. Well, it could well, of course, be the exact opposite. I didn't meet my dream boat. I didn't get the job I always wanted. I never achieved what I hoped. I'm not at peace. The other one that in the last three years has really taken off, I don't feel secure. Relationships, the fidelity of relationships is not what it was, I don't feel secure. Trumpism, this new word from America, I don't feel secure. That man in the White House, I don't feel secure. In England, Brexit. I don't feel secure. Or as simple in England as I don't feel secure going home on the bus. I don't feel secure walking at night in the dark. I don't feel secure. I don't feel that I've got life's answers. I've got all this freedom. I've got what I wanted, personal freedom. That's what my society tells me all the time. But I don't feel at peace and I don't feel secure. Now why has Bruce got me here today? He's got me here for a very simple reason. The Lord is being very, very active. He's putting the word back where the word belongs, at the heart of evangelism. He's simply taking to a biblically ignorant age the gospel. Didn't need changing. It's exactly the same as it has been for 2,000 years. It's back. The downloads of the word one-to-one in China were so great, the government blocked the website. And by the way, don't get confused when you go out and see them uh, on the bookstall. The Americans didn't like the yellow copy, so we reprinted them in trendy-looking jean blue, and they loved them. So they're exactly the same. Don't worry if you see a yellow or a blue. It's the same. And if you've never seen it before, all it is is it's the gospel broken down a verse at a time with some really helpful notes. And it pulls in all of the testament uh, from the prophets from the Old Testament that you will need as Jesus answers 300 prophecies about the Messiah. And at the end of each of the sections, we call them episodes, you then get the reading like we just had in church. But for the friends that I'm seeing, they would have glazed over by line two or three of the reading we just had. Because they don't understand it. They're biblically ignorant. So we've broken it down for them, verse at a time, and then they can read it at the end. Got it? And by the way, did you see? Every page, den in blue. Because you can be a prince or a prisoner and you feel comfortable in your jeans. And that's what this is about. This is socially acceptable, accessible gospel for today. And it's great, good news. And if you're here today and you describe yourself as uh, perhaps someone who's seeking, seeking to know a bit more about God, well, I'm really, really excited that you're here because you need to hold on to your seats. Because what you're going to discover as we take apart these words from the gospel is that it is electrifying stuff. It's stuff that I was not talking Sunday school because I didn't have a Sunday school as good as yours, Bruce. Now, last week... Bruce took you through John 1, 1 to 18, and that is unique. It is, I call it in the city, an executive summary. There's nothing like it in the rest of the Bible. It's just 18 verses that sum up how, in fact, Christ was the Word. And then what we're going to do now is we're going to go on and see the introduction of John the the Baptist and how he was the warm-up act before we get to Jesus actually speaking for himself in chapter 2. So let's break this down, and we're going to look at John one nineteen to 19-22 to start with. Now I want you to take a trip back with me to the days of John the Baptist. And here's where I want you to think. You see, your newspaper, the Jerusalem Times, it's full of what John the Baptist is saying out in the desert. Now imagine for a second that there was television. Every major TV studio has got its crews out in the desert because they want to know what John the Baptist is saying today. He has something important to say, and we need to know what his message is. Well, the one distraction from what's actually in the booklets that I'm going to do today is what is coming now. You're going to get two sermons for one, because we're going to dive into Luke and see what Luke says about John the Baptist. And one of the joys of the Gospels is a bit like carbon fibre—you can overlay the Gospels together, and they strengthen the picture. So we're going to take a quick look at Luke and see what the background is to John the Baptist. And he's writing a an eyewitness report, Luke, and he tells us of this couple, Zachariah and his wife. They're old. He is a traditional dean at the cathedral type of guy. And very sadly, they've not been able to have children. So here he is, and he actually has his name in what is a lottery for being able to serve behind the curtain, the royal area, sorry, the Holy of Holies area in the cathedral, in the temple. And it really was a lottery. There were so many priests You could only have your name in the lottery and you may or may not get picked to go behind this huge 60 foot high curtain, which is where the Ark of the Covenant used to be. The Ark that that had contained the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. Very, very holy place. If you're religious, very, very big ceremony. And if you were ever going to see an angel, where do you think you'd expect to see them? Behind the curtain. So Zachariah walks in, his name's come up in the lottery, he walks in behind the curtain, and this is what Luke tells us. He is told that, um, uh, you know what, I've lost my place and I'm really sorry about that. We're actually going to take a look first at what uh, um, John the the Baptist's mother got told, and that is in Luke 1.16. Here's what she was told is she was told that she was miraculously going to give birth to a baby. Verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Here's the big clue to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. To make ready. For the Lord, a people prepared. And now we get to this picture of Zacharias. Zacharias has gone behind the curtain, and, and what happens? He meets an angel. And he is told that he is going to have a son. And not surprising at his age, even though he's behind the curtain, even if he's, he's in the most um, holy of places, he doesn't believe the angel. So he gets struck dumb. And here is what we record in Luke, further on in chapter 1, Luke one sixty three. Zacharias is speaking, and he asked for a writing table and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And it goes on to say in verse 67 of Luke 1, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord, To prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. The child is born and verse 80 tells us the child grew up and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Do you now understand? This isn't some odd guy wearing sackcloth and ashes out in the desert. People have been waiting They've been storing away what happened 30 years earlier when he was born. What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. This is a miracle child. And we're all going to be on tenterhooks to hear what he has to say, which is why the TV crews are there, which is why the papers are out there, which is why the government sent people, which is why the synagogues have sent people out. Let's come back to John, and we'll come to John 1 19 and 20, and we'll find out what John himself says about who he is. They ask him who he was, and he says, I am not the Messiah. So the entire nation of the Jews, for century after century, has been waiting as God's chosen people for the coming of their Messiah. I am not. The Messiah. Here's John. Miracle baby. And what they therefore ask him. Makes complete sense. They say to him. Are you Elijah? Well that makes complete sense. Because in the Old Testament book of Malachi. The prophet. It had been promised. That someone like Elijah. Would come. Before the Messiah. And Elijah had said that. 860 BC. So they've been waiting a long time. It makes sense. Are you Elijah? John's answer No. Then they move on. Are you the prophet? Now in the Old Testament, the one called the prophet was Moses. And at the end of Moses' life, it was promised that God would send another like him to lead God's people. And John's answer? No. So not surprising, these Jewish important leaders are getting quite desperate. They've got to go back to Jerusalem and explain who this man is. So the the gospel writer records, verse 22, what do you say about yourself, they asked him. Now look again with me at verse 23. We can get that up. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now that's serious. Because the Book of Isaiah has more in it about the coming of the Messiah than any other of the Old Testament books. It's what we have quoted at Easter and at Christmas, and here he is saying, quoting from Isaiah, "Make straight the way of the Lord, a desert, make straight in the desert a highway for our God." Now I don't know if any of you study history. But both the the Greeks and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Romans, if they had a major victory in a foreign land, they would come back to their home city and quite regularly, they would wait for a highway to be built into the city. A six-lane highway so that they could parade in. It was called a triumph. They could parade in with all that they had captured. All the slaves, all the gold, the elephants, the camels, whatever it was. A triumph, a great celebration. In other words, fill in the valleys, take out the hills, build the highway. And John's answer to their question is, make straight the way for the Lord. In other words, in terms that they would have easily understood, he is announcing the most important mega person. He is saying, the Messiah is coming. And they would have understood enough from their Old Testament to know just that. And he said about himself, oh me, I'm just the warm-up act. I'm not the real thing. Make straight, the Lord is coming. Now, the Pharisees step forward. They're the local religious officialdom. They're, frankly, they're guys like me. So they're in business, and they couldn't have run their business without having the good housekeeping seal of approval on their business from the synagogue that said that they were religious. And they step forward, and they say in verses 24 and 25, now they've been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And the answer from John in verses 26 and 27 would have been simply st- to these people see what he says 26 27 we haven't got I'm going to tell you what it says he basically says oh I just get you wet I call you to repent but one far greater than me is on his way the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie now, can you imagine the worst job any of your servants had in your household, you gave it to the lowest servant, was to wash the feet of, the, of your guests. We've got open sewers in the roads. It's dusty, even warmer than it is in Sydney. We've got animals walking up and down the roads, and you're we- wearing open-toed sandals. So when you turned up at your friend's house, your feet needed washing. And John the Baptist says... I'm not even worthy to start that process, to even undo the straps of his sandals, let alone wash his feet. Now, if you were Jewish and in Israel at the time, if you hadn't got the message as to who it was that was turning up, you really were being willful in not wanting to know that answer. He's saying the Messiah is coming. I'm not even worthy to undo the straps of his sandals. Well, they should have got it, shouldn't they? They really should have got it. And I would have to say, excuse me, Israel, but what were you thinking? You've been a nation looking out for a thousand years for your Messiah. You clearly believe that John the Baptist is a prophet sent by God. He's calling you to make straight the way for the Lord. And now he says that the one who is coming is so mega... That John the Baptist is not even worthy to undo his shoes. And this is John the Baptist who is on your newspaper, who the government is listening to, who everybody's going out to see. He's not even worthy to undo his shoes. Do you see how clear John is being? He's announcing the coming of the Messiah, and they absolutely should and would have known what he was doing. Let's move on to verse 28. It's a trait of John that as he wrote his book, he put in two things constantly all the way through the book to say to you, his reader, look, I was there. 28, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. He's first hand in giving this report. I was there is what he was saying. And he actually says, and he, it gets even clearer later on in the book. He's basically saying, go check it out. He wrote the book in about AD 80. People would still have been alive that would have witnessed it in AD 30. So why not go and check it out? Go in the region, ask the stories. Did John the Baptist exist? Did the government send people out? What did John the Baptist say? What happened next? He's saying go check it out. Now you can tell I get quite excited about teaching this book. Why? Because it's the truth. I'd been a Christian for a long time. I came to church regularly. I listened to the sermon. But it was as if I saw, but I'd never properly looked. This is God's living word. It's exciting. It's clear. And I guarantee you that in today's world, where people are lost, where people are materialistic, where people feel insecure, where people are self-centered, in which our contacts lack Any real sense of lasting peace. This is trustworthy love. It is secure answers and it changes lives. I've now been sharing John's gospel for 10 years. And do you know what nearly every single person has said to me as I've done that in 10 years? You're not going to like it. Do you know what they say? Why has no one ever shown me this before? In a biblically ignorant age where the Bible is not taught in schools, where people are not going to church, where they don't see what the book says, why, why has no one ever shown me this before? It's why once people start looking at John's Gospel with these books, hardly any stop before they get to the end. They do the whole thing. In ten years, I've only had ten people who've started and then stopped Without going through the whole of the gospel, it changes lives. Now, I think we have to ask ourselves some questions sitting in church. I think we've got to ask ourselves questions about you know what? Is my faith really about supporting me? Have I become what Richard said he was, a Tesla Christian? I expect to drain out during the week. Can that be changed? Is it that Bruce is the only evangelist or the ministry team are the only evangelists? Could I share the gospel? Because I met Barry with Bruce a year ago this month at Moore College. Barry, where are you? How many one-to-ones are you doing now? Fourteen. There's a guy who now has discovered exactly what I've discovered He can take the gospel to his friends and he discovers that the Lord is active in their lives. They are willing to listen. I reckon it's about one in five, and I mean this globally, not for me, one in five of the people asked normally say they'd be interested in doing that. And the reason is that they may well not be thinking about Christ. They may well not be thinking about going to church. But they would say to you, I do think the Bible's probably got some good stuff in it. I think it's probably got some answers. So to actually sit down with you as a friend and have a look at what it has to say, well, I'll do that. And then to simply have your Christian friend say, did you enjoy that? Would you like to meet again? Two simple questions. That's what's happened globally. And that's why God is working in putting the gospel back where the gospel belongs. It will set your faith on fire. It will revolutionize your prayer life. You will have a meaning in your life second to none. However old or young you are. You know, I preached at the 8 o'clock service here uh, this morning. I preached the same in Sydney, North Sydney, a year ago. 45% of the people at the 8 o'clock communion service in North Sydney, a year ago, picked up the notes and said, I know I need to look and I need to share this with my friends. 45% of the congregation. How much more should it be for us? Just to take hold of the notes, get hold of a set, start praying, start asking, and five, where is that one in five? I was in a church recently and this woman came out to me. She said, I heard your talk on the, on the website." And you said about one in five. She said, I was completely thrown. The first person I asked said, yes, I didn't know what to do. Well, it's an average, one in five. Don't just exist as a Christian. Rejoice in what he has for you to do. It's called the Great Commission. He will be with you as you share the gospel. You will find he's already been at work. You see, I'm always wrong as to why someone says yes. Guaranteed it. Ten years worth. I'm always wrong. The reason someone says yes is always something I did not know. Something's been going on, that irritating little mustard seed of faith that says to someone, I'm not right with my life, and I don't know what that is. But the Lord knows, so I'm just a puppet in the game. I just ask the question, it's part of the game, to actually find out where is God at work already. Already which is why they're going to say yes. It's not about how eloquent you are. If that was the case, why are 50,000 copies of these books flying around the world, let alone the huge number of downloads that there have been? They're not all an insurance executive who's got the gift of the gap. They're people like you and I who simply have come, summed up the courage to say, Lord, please show me someone to say yes. And then they've gone and done it. Now, you want proof of my excitement? Just take a look at verses 29 to 30. You see, John sees Jesus coming towards him, and he gives Jesus an absolutely unique title. In just 13 words, John John sums up Jesus' entire ministry. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He couldn't help himself. Behold, the Lamb of God. And by saying the Lamb of God, he immediately linked Jesus to the Lamb who is sacrificed at the Passover. In other words, there's the Messiah. He's come to die for you. He's come as a sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Instantly linking him to that death. And the Jewish audience would have known that. They should have immediately understood. So... You don't need any special training to be able to use these booklets. You can just pick them up. It's all in the booklets. And I want to prove it by uh, showing you what's on the slide now. This is one of the notes that's in in the books that you would use with your friends. It runs you through what the Passover is. I'll read it. The key annual festival for the Jews is Passover. It's like Christmas or Easter. On Passover night, the angel of death passed through the land of Egypt and killed the firstborn of every household because Pharaoh would not let the Israelites leave. The Jews were told of only one escape from this judgment. The blood of an innocent, spotless lamb was to be sprinkled around the doorpost, a lamb that had lived with the family in the house for at least four days, so that particularly the eldest son bonded with it, and therefore knew that the lamb had died in his place. The notes go on. The special title for Jesus is therefore a reminder of the Passover sacrifice. When the lamb took away the sin of the people and made them right with God. You could do it. It's all in the books. I didn't know at the age of 51 how to give my faith away. I couldn't do it. I now have the how. All it is, is the gospel with notes. That's all I needed. And the Lord does the rest. And it will change your life as it changes the lives of your friends. He goes on. Do you see, by the way, in verse 29, we get this picture that the ultimate sacrifice is not just for the Jews. We get in 29, he takes away the sin of the world. So it's not just for the Jews. And in verse 30, he said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Well, John, you're quite right. Of course, the man who came after him surpassed him. Because the man who came after him is the Messiah that had been mentioned in John 1, 1 to 18. So this is the coming of the creator of the universe in human form. Now, let's go to verse 31. John the Baptist didn't know Jesus He was merely the promised warm-up act, calling Israel to be symbolically repentant for their sins, so that Christ, the Lamb of God, might come. He says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. So in other words, everything that Luke recorded that happened to Zacharias and his wife was fulfilled. He is the warm-up act, John the Baptist. He's exactly what was foretold. Verse 32, it adds an interesting additional hallmark that Jesus is the Messiah. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. You know, in the Old Testament, there's quite a lot of reporting of the Spirit descending on, it may have been a prophet, it may have been a king, doesn't stay. It, it comes from God as a special event. But it doesn't stay. But what we get here is that the, 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 the spirit is going to descend and remain. Because verse 33, this is what John records. The man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Only God can give of himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So once the Spirit came and remained on Jesus, he's the Messiah. Only he can give the Spirit, and that's exactly what the book of John and Acts shows that he did. Jesus is God. Only God can give of himself. So in English, Jesus is the real deal. John the Baptist's audience would have to be willful in their ignoring the words of John as they considered the evidence of Jesus, fulfilling all that had been foretold in the coming of the Messiah. And our last verse, verse 34, hammers that home again. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That's not John the Baptist, that's John the Gospel writer. He wants you to know again, I was there, I saw this from the start. Later on we find he was one of John the Baptist's disciples. So he was standing there next to John the Baptist when he saw this. When he saw John the Baptist go, the Lamb of God, that's it. It's him. I've seen it, I testify, it's God's chosen one. There you go. Imagine being in a court all the evidence you have heard has been delivered. And the eyewitness says, I've seen and I testify this is God's chosen one. Well, I hope that's wet your appetite for what the book of John actually says and the fact that you can share it. It has changed my life. I no longer drain out during the week. I take in because I go out in the power of the Spirit, and share his word. If any of you have given one dollar to Christian work, did you really think that God was so hard up he needed your dollar? No. What happens is he sold you a share in what he is doing. That's what he did with your dollar. He sold you a share for what he is doing. Well, how much more do you think that's true with the Great Commission? He is active. He uses his word. He's placed you next to someone who he loves and wants to understand that word. So I beg you today, don't just come to church for a warm feeling. Don't settle for saying, I'm okay. It's a huge relief to know I've been saved. Take the word. Go and share it. And if it's all new for you today, ask one of the team. Ask Bruce. They'll buy you a coffee. They'll sit you down and show you because it's what we need. We need to be clear. We're a biblically ignorant age. We're an age which is longing to find peace, a peace that passes all understanding. We're in a world where so many tell us they don't feel secure. This is the most important news ever. And it starts with this man, John the Baptist, who's been sent to highlight the coming of the Messiah. If you're a Christian, but not thought you could share the great gospel, you can. I didn't think I could, but I can now. So just grab it, try it, and see. Step forward, dear church. As the Great Commission calls you, don't rest back. But take the gospel forward, and as you do, your Christian lives will take off. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you are doing by globally bringing a hunger to see what your word actually says. Please make us bold to ask our contacts in order that we can find out where you are already at work. Amen.